All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like for you to turn into your Bibles right now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 6. Now, the last time we met together, we were in Galatians. Now we're in 1 Thessalonians, and um, you can go back to the website and see all of the information there if you miss some messages. Uh, we're doing this series, Peace in the Coming Storm, because I think it's very appropriate to us. Because, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm 54. Some of you are a lot older than me. Some of you are younger. I don't think I've ever seen our culture like this. Would, would you agree with that? I don't, I don't think any of us have ever seen this before. We, you've, you've seen stuff through the years over here and over here, but it didn't, not, not on the scale. And, and, and in talking also, it's not just here in the U.S., it's like in the world. Do, do you understand what's happening here is not just here, it's, it's happening in other places. So here you are, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you are trying to figure out what to do, how to live, how to think, how to pray. Because it's, it's have you ever, you know, when you go, to, go, to, go to, to Romans and it says that we don't know how to pray, you ever been like that lately? Like you really don't know how to pray. But thankfully the Spirit intercedes for us is what Romans 8 says. And so, here we are in the midst of this, and I thought, you know, this is the appropriate time to go through these two letters, because the church at Thessalonica, they were living in a time of upheaval. They were living in a time, actually, of severe persecution for their faith. And, and Paul is writing to encourage them and to address some things with them, to help them to stand strong in the midst of the storm that's happening around them. And, and, and that's why I chose this series. I chose these two letters that we're going to look at, First and Second Thessalonians, to help us to have hold of something in the midst of everything that's going on. And so last week he starts out the letter with a prayer of thanksgiving, and what he's thankful for is their salvation. And, and to be honest with you, I know if I were to say to you, are you thankful for your salvation? Everyone here would say, yes, I'm thankful for my salvation. But if you're like me, you take it for granted. I don't need you to admit to that. We just live that way, right? We live with the concept of being forgiven, having assurance of what happens in the future, we just take that for granted. And Paul's reminding us of that. In fact, he's going to, last week we talked about something to hold on to, which was salvation. This week we're going to talk about something to have faith in. And that's the gospel. So let me just explain real quickly what the gospel is. The gospel isn't pray a prayer and you'll get saved. If that's your concept of the gospel, you've got a wrong concept. Gospel is the word meaning good news. Good news of what? Good news of a person. Jesus. That's the good news, right? 
Isn't he the center of everything? Isn't it because of Jesus and his love for us and his going to the cross and dying for you there so that you might have the forgiveness of sin, the removal of shame, that you might have another relationship with him? That's the gospel, right? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. And, it's, and the aspect of the resurrection is Jesus is alive now and Jesus wants to work in your life right now. That's something to have faith in. That's something to hold on to in the midst of all that's going on is Jesus. Because I'll be honest with you, just having a simple belief, simple beliefs don't stand in the midst of stuff. What do you mean stuff, George? Simple beliefs don't hold you in the midst of a crisis. You and I have met people who in the midst of a crisis decided to walk away, right? decided to give up on Christianity and their faith. And that's because it was just a simple belief. It's more than just a simple belief. It's knowing a person. It's knowing Jesus, and that's what gets you through. And so that's what we're going to see today in this passage. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6, and we're going to see how that message really drove Paul. It pushed him to do things that you and I would even think of doing. Okay? So let's look at this together. It's going to be up on the screen if you want to look in your own Bibles. Here's what Paul writes. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor cloak, nor a cloak for covetousness, as God, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take this passage, and we're going to break it down into two sections, okay? Here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to see determination. That's something we're kind of nervous about these days. Do you live your life determined? Well, it's an, it's an unsure time, George. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, we just came out of a lockdown. We're not sure if that's going to happen again. You know, I had plans, and and those plans are shut down. My company is not sure what's going to do. And, you know, I just talked to somebody yesterday and they talked about the corporation they work for losing millions through this whole thing. And, and now their duties have increased, whereas the number of workers have decreased. That's, that seems to be the new world. How do you live determined in this world of uncertainty? So we're going to talk about determination because the gospel meeting Jesus creates a determination in you. And then we're going to see what the nature of the gospel is. 
the nature of the message we hold on to, because it's not just a simple belief, okay? And, and then I'm going to give you a couple of conclusions here at the end. So let's look at it together. Let's look at verses 1 to 2, and we're going to see a couple of things, three things here actually about determination. Listen to Paul's testimony. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, or was it in deceit? Let me just point out three things. Number one, Paul says right off in the first part of verse 1 that sharing this message of Jesus was not in vain, was not a waste of time. So here's the point I want you to see. Sharing the gospel is not a failure. If there's ever a time right now when people need to have something to hold on to, it's right now, isn't it? With all the uncertainty that's going on, the uncertainty about whether or not to even go to a restaurant. I was talking to somebody this day, you know, because I've had lunch with a couple of folks in town during the week, and, and I talked to another pastor, and he was like, you're actually going into a restaurant? Well, yeah, I, I do know this restaurant, and I do see the methods that they're using in cleaning, just not going anywhere. We're all nervous, and you, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's nervous. And, and in the midst of that, you, you think about this world that we're in, this, of this uncertain this world that we live in, that there's got to be something sure. And this world needs something that's sure. And that message is who, folks? Jesus. But some of you would say, yeah, but I've tried sharing it. It always ends up in a failure. I can remember when I was a younger man, being in the Baptist churches that I was attending and stuff, there was almost an emphasis that you had to share. And you felt like and were made to feel like a failure if somebody didn't get saved every time you shared the gospel. But Paul's telling you here, look, it's not in vain. So he was just in Philippi. Philippi, he got beat up. He went to prison there. That's where he was in prison and beat, and then went on to Thessalonica after that and shared the gospel. Why? Because the message was so important, it didn't matter what was happening. It was important that he shared with people about who? Jesus. That's what's important. Sharing the gospel is not a failure, folks. All you're supposed to do is, you're not, first of all, does everybody recognize you don't save anybody here? If we could... <laughs> that would be great. But you don't save them. Who saves them? Jesus does, right? The Lord. You're simply what? A messenger. You simply just share. Anytime you share, even if they reject, and let me just go ahead and tell you right now, most of the time they will reject, right? Isn't that your experience? That's been my experience. But that's still not a failure. You did what you were told to do. 
And that's what Paul's saying. It wasn't in vain. Here's the second thing. The, the gospel drives you to look past your hardships. Look at verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our speech to speak the gospel of God in much conflict. All right, listen. All right, so you ever get sheepish about something? I remember as a young man getting really sheepish, like if I went in somewhere and, and the person in charge was really rude and mean to me and, and dressed me down because I made a stupid error, the next time I'm with that person, I'm not walking in there like I got it all together. I'm actually kind of what? Sheepish. Like I better watch out or she's going to be breathing down my neck or he's going to be breathing. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever feel that way? with a boss or something, you know. And when you have a negative experience, it creates in you naturally caution. You want to be cautious, right? All right, so here's Paul. He's saying, we were just in Philippi. We just went through the ringer there, and we showed up, and we kept on preaching boldly. Whoa, if that was me... I'd be nervous based on my last experience about what I'm going to do in this next town, right? That's the reality. I remember, you know, years ago when I was uh, in college, when I first became a believer, the ministry that uh, was instrumental in my coming to faith, the college ministry there, they had a speaker come to the University of South Carolina campus to do a series of talks on communism as a failure and and uh, Christianity as being superior. He was an exiled Romanian pastor. So he was a pastor who had suffered much persecution under the communist government in Romania at the time. And I remember, because I got to drive him around. You know, sometimes they'd get a young guy, I had a car, so I drove him around to different places. And I remember one time him saying to me in those few days that he was with me, he said, you know, if you lived in Romania and you were tired of the stuff that you were going through and you went to another community and thought you would just start all over and not tell anybody that you're a Christian, he said, if by the third day people didn't realize that you were a Christian, you probably weren't. Because it naturally flows out of your life. Paul's saying here, the gospel, even though we went through this, it drives you to look past what you went through to continue on. And that's what he's doing here. He continued on, and the Thessalonians were be the benefactors of that because they got the gospel. Here's the third point I want you to see. Third thing he says here, the Lord empowers you to share in face of opposition. It's the Lord who gives you the strength to share. It's the Lord who gives you the words to talk to people. I've talked to people sometimes, and they're like, I don't know what to share. Well, God will tell you what to share at the moment. You don't need to have Bible degrees to answer the question. You just need to know Jesus, and he'll share it with you. So there's that determination to live, 
because of the gospel, because of the message of Jesus. But he goes on and tells you what that message is, why you should hold on to it, okay? So we're going to see five things here. All right, look with me at verse 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Here's the thing, the message of Jesus that you hold on to, that you live for, that drives you, okay? The gospel is not false, impure, or deceptive. It's not false. It's not from error. It's not impure. And it's not deceitful. You don't trick people into believing that. Do you understand? You don't trick people into believing about Jesus. I know some people have tried that. Doesn't work. Can't manipulate people. It's not that way. The message isn't that way. Have you, first of all, by the way, can I say this? Have you ever tried to manipulate somebody into going into church? Don't, don't admit it out loud, but have you ever tried that? I'm going to tell you right now, through the years of pastoring, I've watched it numerous times, can I tell you, here is the track record that I have observed. It never works. Don't try it. Manipulating somebody to, quote, hear the gospel doesn't work. They're just doing it to make you happy. But in their heart of hearts, they don't believe. See, but when you do hear the gospel and you do understand it, you realize what? Number one, it's not false. It's the truth. Number two, it's not impure. And number three, it isn't deceptive. It's not from deceit. Here's the second thing I want you to see about the gospel. The gospel is not appealing to men. About 10 years ago, I was with a gentleman. We were, we were uh, traveling uh, somewhere. And he was not, he's not a believer, doesn't profess to be a believer. And we talked about the gospel. And he looked at me and he said, are you telling me you really believe that some guy had to be nailed to a cross, die a cruel death, be slapped into the grave, and you believe he rose on the third day and you have salvation? He said, that's pure and utter nonsense that you would believe that. Who would think of something like that? It's not appealing. It's not appealing in our world that that's what you have to do for the removal of sin and shame. People think it's craziness. Isn't that what you confronted sometimes? People th telling you that they think it's crazy? It's not appealing. Paul says it this way. When you look at verse 4, he says, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not pleasing men. The message doesn't please men. Why? Because the, at the heart of the message is this. Okay, tell me if this goes over well with people. You have to give up yourself to get God. You have to admit that you're not right. By the way, have you met people this week that are willing to admit that they're not right? No. I typically meet, meet, face people and even look in the mirror sometimes and you realize that you don't want to admit that you're not right, right? 
But here comes a gospel that comes along and says, you've got to admit that you're not right and that you need someone. In our culture, is that something you want to express, that you need someone? No, we're, we're in an individualistic culture where you're supposed to do it on your own. You would never admit. Because pride is there, right? The gospel is not appealing. Here's, here's the third thing I want you to see about the gospel. The gospel is not meant to flatter people. Look at verse 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words. Well, first of all, if the message is not appealing to people, of course you're not going to flatter them with it, right? Let's go on to the next point here I want you to see. The gospel is not meant for personal gain. Again, verse 5. As you know, as a nor a cloak of covetousness. The gospel, the message of Jesus, isn't for you to get something out of. It's for you to come to him because you realize he's all you need in this life. Here's the next thing I want you to see. The gospel is not a means for being popular. Some of you are smiling. Isn't that where we are today in our culture? Listen to what he says. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. It's not for being popular. Coming to Jesus doesn't make you popular. Do you realize that? So you hold on. So what drives you? If, if this is the gospel, the nature of the gospel is, is it's not appealing, it's not flattering, people aren't going to accept it, then, then what's the basis of it? Well, the basis of it is, is that you realize, whether it's accepted or not, it's about a person who was ultimately rejected, but that person, Jesus, gives you life. Not just later on, but gives you life right now. Gives you strength right now to face the things that you're facing. Gives you hope right now when you're ready to give up. Do you understand? So let me give you two thoughts as we close our time, okay? Two thoughts here. I guess this is very real right now, okay? Simple belief is not going to hold you in the midst of the coming storm. I um, I just recently had a conversation with somebody in the last year who was raised in a Christian home, went to Christian school all of their childhood, even went to and graduated from a Christian university. And in the midst of all of the turmoil of what's going on in life, They walked away. And what they realized was is that the stuff that they believed was just an empty shell. And kind of like an egg. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, I remember 
we don't do these kind of gross crafts anymore, but do you remember when you would like drill a little hole in the bottom of your egg and, and let the yolk come out? So you had an eggshell that you did some sort of craft with, you know? And, but yet you had to be careful with it because if you weren't careful, and, and if you've ever been around me, I'm not careful, you would break that egg. But there's nothing inside, thankfully, because the yolk and stuff's out of it. But it, it, his faith was just simple beliefs that he had been told and had accepted. But when the crisis came, the crisis came, listen to me, the crisis came, that shell broke. And he realized that there was nothing there. So he had a crisis of faith. See, simple belief isn't going to get you through it. So you say, well, what is it, George? It's a relationship. What we believe in is a living person. And that living person gives you determination to go on for the next day, even in spite of hardship. That living person gives you the strength to go on and share even though you reject it. Because what you believe isn't flattering, but you realize it's real because you know who? Jesus. Well, what are you saying? He's going to show up in my room? No, 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 no. I think that's too simplistic even to say that. But I do know you can know that he's real in your life. Why? Because have you not had this experience? I've had it. Where you've gone to him and poured out your heart. And there was a peace. A sense of him being with you, loving you. His presence. And that was real. Have you, have you not seen it when you asked for him to, to do something and, and what did he do? He provided at just the right moment. And others were saying, wow, that was a nice coincidence, but you knew in your heart that that wasn't a coincidence. That was Jesus. That was the Spirit of God. That was God working in your life. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? See, that's what carries you through the crisis. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That's what carries you because you might face the crisis and you're like, huh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. It may not end up well, but you know what? I have him. I have him. See, that's what drove Paul. To go from one beat down into the next beat down. To go from the beat down, if you read Acts, he went from the beat down in Philippi to the beat down in Thessalonica. What drives a man to do that? Meeting Jesus. Interacting with Jesus. Having a relationship with Jesus. So you need to understand it. Simple belief is not going to hold you in the midst of the coming storm. Here's the second thing. Faith is knowing 
the person of Jesus, and that allows you to face anything. Faith is knowing Jesus, even though you haven't seen him. It's knowing him. It's putting your trust he's real and that he interacts in your life. So some of you knew that when you walked in here today. Yes, you were nervous. Yes, you were apprehensive. Like, what are we going to find? Is my pew going to be available? But some of you, you realized when you walked in and you settled down and we had that time of singing and you saw the faces of people you haven't seen in a while. We prayed together. You sensed his presence because God's people came together. And it's been a breath of fresh air. It's real. See, faith is knowing the person. And that allows you to face whatever is going on. See, I think it's, it's, it's that's why I think we're supposed to meet every week, right? And let me just go ahead and tell you, it's nerve-wracking to do the live stream thing, okay? It's a whole lot better for me as a preacher to look into faces and preach, okay? But I'm going to be honest with you, just as it's meaningless to me to preach at a camera, it's meaningless to you to listen at a TV or a smart device when you can't interact and stir each other on and encourage each other. Oh, you graduated. Wow, that's great. Oh, you got a raise. Wonderful. Oh, you need, you need prayer. I'll pray for you. Haven't we missed that? Because really, faith is knowing the person, and the person we know from the scripture also is we are his what? Body. And so we need each other. And we need to hold on. And so I'm praying that we will do that. Let me pray for you right now.